It's always a blessing to be together for worship. I'm so thankful that you're here today on this holiday weekend. Uh, I want to express my appreciation to Chris and the worship team for leading us in worship. For all of you you participating, I want to thank Angela for uh, sharing a little bit about some of the things happening in our women's ministry and a lot of good things are happening in the life of our church right now and uh, so so grateful for all the ways that God is working and that you are a part of what God is doing here. It's really exciting uh, to hear all the things and to see all the things that God is up to in our midst. I want to I wanna start this morning in our sermon time uh, by sharing a bit of good news. Uh, I wanna, we want to welcome uh, two new families this morning into our church family uh, and see if they're sitting in here. I'm not sure. Josh and April, okay, Josh and April uh, Mazur are sitting over here. Their awesome son, Maverick, is also a part of their family. He was up here digging in his pocket a minute ago, making sure he got all the money out for the children's offering. It was awesome to see that. Uh, we want to welcome Josh and April and Maverick. We're grateful that they're a, they want to be a part of this church family. And also, uh, sitting back here behind Mark and Shannon Pratt uh, is Bryston and Langdon Gallegos and their kids, Lennox, Becklin, and Fletcher. Uh, if you want to let, let you may already waved. I missed it. They're sitting right back there, all the kids in their laps. Uh, and so, if you would welcome, join me in welcoming these two families. And I want to say to uh, Bryson and Langdon and Josh and April and to your kids that we want you to know that we've been praying for you even before we knew you, uh, and we've been praying that God would send people into our midst, that we would be a welcoming community. Uh, and that we would be a place where people would find and experience the love of Jesus. And so we hope that that's already been the case, and we want to continue to see that that happens, and we, uh, we're thankful that you've chosen to walk with us. So I know you all just sat down. I'm going to ask you to stand up. If you're near one of these families, to put a hand on them. We're going to pray over them. Uh, and as we begin, uh, our sister Allison Myers is back there. She was baptized last week. Somebody might want to put a hand on her while we pray as well. That wouldn't be a bad thing either. Uh, Let's pray as we, as we start before we jump into week three uh, of the Lord's Prayer. I want to mention one thing really quickly, sorry, before we pray. This is, I know you all just got into position and that's good, but this is also related to prayer. On the back of your bulletin every week, there are lots of prayer requests and you might have seen our brother Josh's name on the back of this list. He's in the midst of a battle with cancer. And so now if you've seen that name, you didn't know who Josh was He's the person that I just mentioned is wanting to be a part of our church family. So I want you to increase your prayers for our brother Josh as we uh, ask God to heal his body. And I'm going to mention that as well in our prayer. So let's pray this morning. Father, we come grateful uh, for church family and for the gift of being able to walk together in community. And uh, we pray this morning your blessings upon Josh and April and Maverick. Uh, on uh, Bryston and Langdon, on their children, Lennox and Becklin and Fletcher. We're thankful for these families who have come to be a part of this church family, to journey with us in our pursuit of Jesus, in our attempts to live into the kingdom life that you've called us to live. And we pray your blessing upon uh, the kids, and we pray your blessing on the parents. We pray as they come into this church family that You'll use their gifts and talents in that as we walk together. I want to pray a special uh, prayer this morning for Josh and for uh, the journey that he and, and April are on, and uh, specifically with his cancer journey. And God, we pray uh, 
uh, for answers, for healing. I know they're in the midst of exploring some new clinical trial options, and we pray that you'll provide answers in that regard to give a new path forward. Uh, We pray that you will bring healing to Josh's body, that you will uh, do only what you can do, and that you'll work, God, in in his body to bring about uh, healing. Uh, I want to also thank you for uh, Allison and her decision again last week to put you on in baptism. Uh, God, it's such a good thing to see all of these good things happening and and people making those kinds of commitments and families joining our church body, and we want to give you credit and glory for that, and we ask that you'll be near to each one of these that we've mentioned this morning, and uh, we pray, Father, that you'll continue to send people here. Uh, We will be a place of welcome and hospitality that we'll uh, commit, Father, as a church family to walk with each other hand in hand as we seek to journey together in your kingdom. We love you, Father, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus, our brother and our friend. And the church said, amen, amen. Thank you guys so much. As you're finding your seat today, <clears throat> I, want to, uh, I want to mention that we are in week three uh, of a series that we started a few weeks ago now on the Lord's Prayer and... And each week in this series, we're, we're taking each line of the prayer, kind of line by line, and we're diving deeper into it, exploring what Jesus says uh, so that we might better understand this, this prayer, and we might live it out, really, in the ways that I think Jesus imagined for us to live out the words of this prayer. And so today, we turn our attention to the third line of this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. And, and once again, I want to read these words. Uh, you don't have to read them with me this time, but I'm going to read these words as we, as we start. This then is how you should pray, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, next slide, our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The thing you notice about the Lord's Prayer, the more you study it, the more you look at it, is that every line that we're going to look at in this series includes something that we need to pay attention to. Every line is important. It it sort of condenses down everything in some ways. It kind of summarizes all the things that Jesus taught and all the things that Jesus was about. And In the first two weeks of this series, we looked at the opening lines of this prayer, Our Father in Heaven hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But with this third line of the prayer, the prayer shifts on us. It changes. It's a different, kind of goes in a different direction. In the middle of one of the greatest prayers of all time is this line, give us this day our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. And these are really not the words that I I think if you think about the prayer as a whole, they're not the words that you're expecting to hear. After the words, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. The next line you're not expecting is, give us this day our daily bread, unless you know Jesus. And then I think the line makes perfect sense. Because Jesus is always loving people. He's always meeting people's needs. Oftentimes, Jesus meets their physical needs. Maybe you could say almost all the time, Jesus meets people's physical needs before he ever meets their spiritual needs. Think about that. Jesus meets people's physical needs before he meets 
their spiritual needs. He provided wine for those who were celebrating. He provided food for those who were hungry. He went out of his way to find those on the margins, people who were poor, people who were sick, people who had no power, who were powerless. So it shouldn't surprise us if we know this about Jesus. We see this in the life of Jesus, that when he teaches people how to pray, that he's going to include a line about praying for daily bread. And so really what happens, I think, and I think it's important, by including this line, what Jesus is doing, he's, he's sort of normalizing praying for the stuff that goes on in our lives. He's, pray, he's normalizing talking about things that you care about. Really, it's a brilliant move, I think. Not that Jesus needed my approval, but I think it's really important, right, that he, he says to us, hey, it's okay for you to pray for the big stuff, but Prayer is not always only about the big stuff, right? Jesus is inviting us to bring anything to him, even when things might seem insignificant or small. I've heard people say before, maybe you've said before, something like, I'm not sure I can pray about that. That doesn't seem like something that God would care about. And I'm telling you this morning that I think that this line of the Lord's Prayer disagrees with you. I think that Jesus seems to say, I care. God cares. God cares about all the stuff that, you, that happens in your life. I love how Richard Foster communicates this idea in his book on prayer. I want you to listen to this quote. He says, we pray for daily bread by taking to God those trifles that make up the bulk of our days. Are we unable to find a babysitter to care for the children while we are at work? Well, then we pray for daily babysitters. Do we need a little space to think things out? Then we pray for daily solitude and rest. Is it a warm sweater or gloves that we need because of the bitter cold? Then we ask for clothing day by day. Are we struggling with a relationship at work or at home? We ask for patience and wisdom and compassion daily, hourly. This is how, he says, we pray for daily bread. You have a life. This line of the prayer says, and that life matters to God because that life has needs. You have needs. And the prayer for bread is simply an acknowledgement, really, that you have needs. Give us, Father, we have some things we need. Give us today our daily bread. We have needs that need to be met, and so they matter to God. And that's an important reminder for us to hear in this third line of the prayer. But there's also something else going on in this prayer. A lot of you know that when Jesus teaches or talks, anytime we see Jesus talking or teaching, he often alludes to something in his words from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Scriptures. And then he sort of reframes it. He does this a lot, especially in this part of Matthew that we're looking at where, the, where this prayer is. It's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He says things like, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, right? And so he's, he's ref that you have heard that it was said line is referencing something that they would have heard said in the Old Testament. And he often does this when he's teaching. He sort of remind, alludes to something or suggests something in his words that they would have known or been familiar with in the Old Testament, but then he reframes it and he gives them some sort of new teaching. And this is part of what's happening here in this third line of the Lord's Prayer. I want you to think for a second. Can you think of a story that happened at some point in Israel's past where people had to depend on God daily for bread? Some story that includes 
bread or daily bread, right? The Exodus story, right? And if you're not familiar with this story, it's this moment in Israel's history when they had been in Egypt. And God used Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. And they're going to the promised land, but they're in the wilderness. They're in this in-between space, in between where they came from and where they're going. They're here in the wilderness. But this wasn't a time when you could just run down to the grocery store, to the corner store, and pick up the groceries that you need, get the loaf of bread that you need to take care of yourself and your family. And we're also talking about a nation of people that were led out of Egypt, right? When you think of Israel leaving Egypt, leaving slavery, and going toward the promised land and walking through the wilderness, you need, I don't know what you picture, if you've ever pictured it, but what you need to picture is the city of Dallas leaving Egypt, and leaving into the wilderness and going to the promised land. That, you're talking a massive, massive group of people, right? So to find bread for one family, 10 families, 50 families would be enough. But to find bread for an entire city is an entirely different thing. And so Israel is walking out of Egypt. They're happy about their freedom. They're on their way to this land that they don't know about. They don't, they've never been there before. And now they're out here in the wilderness. And... and I want you to think about as you experience that, as you sort of imagine that moment, right? What, would it, what Israel would have experienced in that transition from Egypt and slavery. Now they're free, but they're not to where they're, they're not, they haven't arrived to where they're going and they're living in this wilderness place. What sort of emotion might you feel as you start to get hungry, as you start to look around and realize, I don't have a way to provide for my family, I don't have a way to provide for myself. And we're not around anything. And we're not really staying in one place, so I can't exactly plant things to grow. I'm not going to be around long enough to wait for them to grow so that I can make something, right? There's no food nearby, and you're wondering, how am I going to feed myself and my family? They've been liberated from slavery, and they're on their way. But in this moment, they're in the wilderness, and they are hungry. And I want to look at this story together in Exodus chapter 16. This is what it says. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Mo Moses and Aaron, their leaders, and, and the, the Israelites said to them, if we only had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we were in slavery, but there we at least sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then, Moses, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. Skipping ahead to verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much and some gathered little. 
When they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. In this space, they have to depend daily on the Father to meet their needs. They have to daily depend on God's generosity to give them basic things like bread and meat. And the Israelites had never seen anything like it. They call it manna, or the Hebrew word is mana, and it literally means what? Which is what they say. What is it? And their minds are blown. It's this flaky bread, and it sort of it evaporates right after it shows up on the ground. It's only there for a little while. It's very bizarre. They're very curious and unsure about exactly what's going on. They had complained, and now this shows up, which is, I think, the appropriate response. What? Like, that's what all of us would probably say. And then Moses tells them it's bread from heaven. And I want you to think about the imagery that Jesus is conjuring up, that Jesus is calling to mind in this third line from the prayer, give us today our daily bread. The Israelites in the wilderness on their way to the promised land had just been led out of slavery and already, right, just two months, it says, after they had been led out of slavery, already, they're like, that would be better than this. Now, how bad would it have to be for you to have been in slavery and not only for you to have been in slavery, but for your family generations back to have been in slavery? How bad would it have to be for just for you to acknowledge in that moment, I'd rather go back to that as bad as it was, than to be right here doing this. And that's what they say. Back in Egypt, we sat around pots of meat and ate all we wanted. They're in this in-between space. And for some reason, I think we can understand them because it seems like that we, we often want to go back, don't we? Too often we think that what's behind us is better than what's ahead of us. But did you catch what the story said? That in the wilderness, they had to learn to trust God, to depend on God for their needs. They weren't going out to work for it and earn it. They weren't putting in a hard day's labor. God was providing. And even though they couldn't see everything that was ahead, they had to trust that God was going to be faithful to them and not just rescue them from slavery and then leave them out in the desert to die of starvation. When when Israel is in the wilderness, God shows up to provide bread for them every single day. The story that we read happens every single day. Every single day they show up, they wake up, and there it is. What? On the ground. Every night at twilight, quail come down to the ground. And with this line, friends, for daily bread, what Jesus, I think, is inviting us to, Jesus wants you to recall When you pray, give us today our daily bread, Jesus wants you to recall the Israelites in the wilderness. Jesus wants you to be aware of how, like Israel, we are also, you and I, are in this wilderness space. We have a foot in this world, and we have a foot in the world that is to come, but we are not there yet. And as we live in this wilderness, Jesus wants us to depend on him for our basic needs, but also our bigger needs as well. While we live in this wilderness space with one foot in this world and one foot in the world that is to come, there is a, there's a competition 
going on for our loyalty. You may not be aware of the fact that this competition is happening, but it is. There is a competition that's happening for your attention and for your loyalty and for your allegiance. Because there are other stories out there. There is a story, the story of God that you have been invited into and that you are living in. But there are other stories out there, stories that suggest, you know, I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm in charge of my life. And with a little hard work and some ingenuity, some creativity, and a few things falling my way, before long I'll make it in this world. And I'll become someone important, someone significant, a self-made person maybe. And we pursue achievements and success and all sorts of things. And certainly those stories might have some good, right? There are certainly good things about working hard. But the problem is that we li- when we live in this story, we can be deceived. We have been deceived into thinking that everything we have, we have because we worked for it. I want to say it again because I think it's true. We have been deceived into thinking that everything we have, we have because we worked for it. Deceiving, we've been deceived into thinking that you wouldn't have anything if you hadn't worked for it. Because this line that we've all heard, this voice that's there in the back of our minds, nothing in this world is free, right? That's the lie that we've been told. And I want to suggest this morning, though it's hard for our sort of American ears to hear, this way of viewing things has a hard time finding room for God. The reality is that this is a hard line of this prayer to preach because none of us know what it's like to not have very few, maybe somebody does, but most, the majority of us do not know what it's like. We do not know what it's like to, to not have everything we need every single day. The reality is that most of us were born into what we have or some level of what we have, born in to uh, some measure of privilege. I've said before, some of you heard me say, I was born on third base and it's not because I hit a triple, right? A lot of us were born into situations where we were positioned well in life and we don't know what it's like to struggle really. We've never gone a day without opening up a pantry or a refrigerator and finding something there. So how does this prayer for daily bread apply to us? Because we've, we've never experienced really what Israel experienced in the wilderness those days. We know what it's like to have a foot in the world that we came from and a foot in the world to come. And we know what it's like to live in the wilderness, but we're still kind of comfortable in the wilderness There are some of Jesus' disciples that are hearing this prayer for daily bread, and they, are, they truly, I imagine, do not know where their next meal is going to come from. And there might be, again, a handful of us in here today who are not sure where our next meal is going to come from or not sure how we're going to pay rent this month or make the house payment. And if that's you, I want to say this morning, I want you to come and find me after church because I know that this church will meet your needs. And we want no one here to go without their needs being met. But most of us, this is not our experience. And what I believe Jesus is asking you to do today, inviting you to do today, if you dare, is to cultivate the mindset of a beggar. To cultivate the mindset of a day laborer. 
to have the creativity and imagination to view each day's basic provision as a gift and something that should never be taken for granted. That when you open your refrigerator and you always find the things that you want in there, that you recognize the gift that that is. And that it could all be gone like that. Or when you look at your bank account and you see that there's more than enough money for you and six other families or one other family or one other person, right, that you will recognize that all of that's a gift and that it could be gone like that. And whether that is your reality or not or somewhere on the spectrum of what I'm talking about, Jesus wants us to cultivate that mindset as if it is the case. Give us today our daily bread. Cultivate the mindset that we are a beggar, that we are in need, that we need God to provide for us. Because there's something about the way, friends, that when you, when you approach life with this kind of mindset that's different from the way you would approach life when you think that it all happened because you did it. You see that? There's an altogether different approach to life when you approach it as someone who depends on God every day versus as a person who did it all and accomplished it all and it's all because of their effort and their energy and their time. When you see that the basic things in life like food and shelter and clothing and relationships and job and community of people, how many people people do you have? Friends, dozens of friends that you could count on at any moment. That's a gift. It could be gone like that. Basic things like family, your very life itself. When we view these things as gifts that you did not earn and you did nothing to deserve, instead of the possessions that you worked to get, it does something to you. It changes how you view your stuff, your relationships. uh, You approach life, I think, in a different way. And what's amazing about this is that we know that the followers of Jesus listened to Jesus. And they put this idea into practice. And we know it because it's recorded in Scripture. And after after Jesus was killed on the cross and was raised from the dead, he stayed on earth for a little while, but eventually he returned to the Father. What happens? The church begins to form. And they start living out this practice of being more dependent on God than they were on their own ability to create or produce their stuff. They they became more dependent on God than they did their own ability or their own possessions or their own resources. I want you to listen. Don't take it, just don't take my word for it. I want you to listen to what happens. In the earliest beginnings of the church in Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read from two different places. Starting in Acts 2 verses 44 through 45. And then I'm going to move to chapter 4. It says, all the believers were together. Again, Jesus is gone, right? This is now they're having to figure out how do we apply the life and the teaching of Jesus to our lives. They're trying to figure out how do we make sense of all that just happened with Jesus while he was on earth. He's gone now. We've been given the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to live out our lives in faithful service to him. We're not exactly sure what that means or how that looks, but we're going to start trying. And here are some of the things that they do to start putting into practice things that they heard Jesus talking about. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 44, it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Chapter 4, verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money to the, from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anybody that had need. I'm going to read beyond this one, just one verse. They actually say, even give you one example, a guy named Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the first months after Jesus has gone back to the Father when the church is being formed. This is how they behaved toward one another. This is how they viewed their lives and their possessions. Where did they get the idea that they thought this would be a good, like where did, they, where did the, idea, the thought that this would be a good idea come from? It came from Jesus. They'd come to see their bread. They'd come to see their possessions, their property as a gift. And they were like, Wait, we have enough stuff and we're followers of Jesus and they don't have what they need, and they're followers of Jesus. So we'll just share our stuff with them, right? There are people in our church community that don't have the things they need, so we're going to just donate this stuff and sell it, and then we're going to give that money to the church to just be used for whatever it needs to be used for, for the sake of the needs of the people so that those needs will be met. They come to believe that this is just what disciples of Jesus do. And I am not there today. Amen? I think we can be honest about the fact that this is a spiritual level that I have not, many of us have not achieved. They discovered that when you live, live this way, nobody is needy. And they found that all the garages and storage buildings and sheds and closets that are packed with stuff, you can't even open the doors, they're full of stuff, so full of stuff. They, they found that they didn't even need most of that stuff. It turns out that they were the answer to the prayer that God was going to provide daily bread. How about that? You could be the answer to the prayer for some, that somebody else is praying for daily bread. And as I said already, as I prepared for today, I spent a lot of time thinking about what does it mean to pray this prayer and live in a time when very few, if any, of us understand the idea of having to depend on God daily. Certainly we get into tight spots where we have, you know, the government takes way more tax money than they should, and man, that, that hurt, right? We get into those seasons, but not, not on a regular reoccurring basis. And I think the answer, I think the answer to how this idea came to be understood is really in the, in the verse. Give us today our daily bread. It's in the pronouns. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? If you hear the prayer, it's, it's a communal prayer. It's not an individual prayer. It's a prayer we're praying together. Us and our. 
This is why I think that the disciples in Acts chapter 2 did what they did. Because they understood. They understood that when you cultivate the mindset of a beggar, of someone that is dependent on God for their daily needs as well as their bigger needs, that it impacts your, how you view your life and how you view your stuff. And they understood that somehow, if one of us doesn't have the bread that they need, then none of us have the bread that we need, right? It impacts all of us, in other words. They understood that if one of us is in need, then we're all, we're all impacted by this reality. You may have your daily bread for today and for the next month and for the next 10 years, but there are people close to you in our church, in next door to you, down your street, across the county that do not have this. And so the question that I want us to consider, the invitation that I want us to consider this morning is simply, it's not a judgmental thing. I don't want you to leave here today thinking, you know, Doug beat us up about any of that. That's not my heart at all. But I do want to ask us to evaluate. I am evaluating. I want us to do this together and ask this question. Will we, can we, are we courageous enough to be less concerned with hoarding and more concerned with having a daily bread mindset? Will we live with the level of generosity that places the needs of others in our community of faith and in our community at large at the level of our own? In a day and time when we all have full pantries and never go without anything that we need, what would it take? I want you to imagine this question. What would it take to become the church that Acts 2 and Acts 4 describe? Do we have enough imagination? Do we have enough courage to try? I'm in, if you are. Shane Claiborne once said it really well. He said, I'm convinced that God did not mess up and make too many people and not enough stuff. Poverty was created not by God, but by you and me. Because we have not learned to love our neighbors as ourselves. And when I read that, I was like, ugh, that's painful and it's true. Do we have enough imagination and courage to try to become the church that Acts 2 and Acts 4 describe? This morning, I want you to hear the truth from this line of the Lord's Prayer. God cares about your needs. God will meet your needs. God has given you all you need. And God wants you to share what you've been given. Daily bread is not only for you, but it also is for the world that is hungry. Showing those around us through our love for them that we follow Jesus Christ, the provider of daily bread. Let's pray together. Father, this is one of those sermons, one of those lines of Scripture that is, is a challenging. It's a, it's a, it speaks to us because we know we live in a time in history, a point in history which where we have so much. And first of all, we want to pray, Father, that you will you'll help those of us in the room, those of us who are watching online. I know we have a large group today, especially watching online. That you'll help those who are a part of this community to know that, that we want to help meet needs, and sometimes we just don't know about them. And so I pray that you'll give those among us who may be in need, physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually in need, 
a courage to say to someone here, I need help. I need prayers. Now you'll help us as a community to surround them with love, with open arms, without a judgmental posture in any shape or form, but to receive people with the love that we have received from you. And I pray, Father, that you'll give us the courage and the creativity to be the church that is described in Acts 2 and Acts 4, to live with this posture of resisting, hoarding, and collecting and storing up for ourselves and giving away, understanding that we get to keep nothing that we have after we die. It's all here for a season for this mist of a life that we have all been given. And I'm thankful for this church. I want to affirm this church today because I I know you, God, are pleased with the way that the, the generosity of this body has been on display for decades. And I pray more than anything else, not that we will become this, but that you'll grow this spirit in us. We, we, we're already doing it. We're trying to do it, God. And I pray this morning that all of us will hear uh, not, a, not a message of condemnation, but a message of encouragement to say, hey, let's do better. Let's link arms and hands and let's walk deeper into the life that God has called us into. Let's do more in regard to how we live and how we think about the stuff that we've been given. Help us to see, God, all of those things as gifts as, uh, that have been received from you. I'm thankful for the way that this church has blessed me. Individuals in this church have blessed and taken care of my family when we were in need. And I know, Father, that this is a, is a heart, the heartbeat of this body wants to be this way. And so I pray that you will, through your spirit, will stir up in us a greater desire, a deeper desire to continue on this path, on this journey, as we seek to be your people in this city, in this county, in the world that you have placed us in. Loving people the way you have loved us and showing them through our love that we follow you. We pray in your name, Jesus. And the church said, amen. Let's stand together and sing another song before our shepherd's prayer. Let's sing about our good, good father who has given us all that we need. Ah.